be brave enough to back yourself. You know, you know what what you want to put out there. You know what you want to do. Don't say you don't because you do. And you just have to have the courage to back yourself. Meditation, travel, family, managing anxiety, returning to a love of drama and acting, and equine-assisted therapy. We have a lot to talk about on the show today with my guest, Deanna Williamson. Deanna is an occupational therapist working with children and families and the connection between them. She loves helping kids to learn how to develop their skills and be part of the journey as both the child and the parent grow. Welcome to the Mindset Mastery Podcast. And Deanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Rachel. Lovely to be here chatting with you. To start with, tell me a little bit more about what it is to be an occupational therapist and what you love doing with children and families. So an occupational therapist is somebody that will help you if you have a a breakdown with one of your occupations. So that could be for children, because I see children, that could be to do with their play, their self-care, so going to the bathroom, getting dressed, brushing their teeth, or all their schoolwork or preschool. So if there's a breakdown in one of those areas, then an OT might be able to help you. But OTs can see any age person really, but I just choose to see kids because they're fun and I get to play with the toys. That sounds pretty awesome. So what led you down this career path? Yeah, it was kind of the long way round. I went to school in a little country town, so sort of advice on careers was yeah, pretty ordinary. Oh, yes, you be a nurse and oh, you be a teacher and you know, it wasn't, we didn't really get any careers advice, but my mum was a nurse. So I was kind of drawn to probably physio because I knew what that was. But before that, I actually wanted to be an actor, but mum said, no, you got to get a real job. So because she was a nurse and that's what I was seeing, you know, like all of her friends and the people that she was hanging around were health professionals. So I kind of thought, oh yeah, I could, I could do that. I could do physio. And then one of um, mum's friends said, oh, no, no, you wouldn't enjoy physio because it'd be too boring for you. You need something a bit more creative. <laughs> and so I, I actually did apply for physio, but I applied for lots of different ones because I actually did a year of teaching before that, studying teaching. And, and I don't know why. I think because the subjects I was doing, I was one of my teachers said, oh, you'd be a great teacher. Well, OT, I kind of ended up being a teacher, but soon realised it wasn't for me. And so I ended up doing OT kind of like really on on mum's friend say so, you know, I know, yep, you're better suited to OT. So I kind of really didn't even know what it was the first year. I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And I kind of was going through being a bit of a reluctant OT because I was a bit lost. (laughs) So I couldn't quite work out what they were where it was coming from because there was psych and there was sociology and then there was occupational performance so there's all of this stuff being drawn in and I was kind of you know I don't know whether it was just a bit vague but I was just having trouble bring it all together but and it took me a while to actually find my niche and it wasn't really until I did my last prac and it was a peds prac I was like oh yeah great I just get to play with kids and toys and families and yeah this is me I get to be a bit wilder and more creative so that's kind of 
how in a roundabout way how I ended up doing OT. <laughs> That's awesome. And you said originally you wanted to be an, an actor. And I think being able to work with the kids and play and do you get to kind of incorporate some of that into the work you do? Oh, all the time. Well, I'm kind of always reading, you know, reading the child and what their interests are and and what kind of lights them up and I always want to know what they're passionate about and so then because a lot of the stuff I do is play based I can kind of bring that in so if a child comes in and I know they're really into you know sea creatures like oh we can create a whole scene and you know bring in all these toys and all these characters and and you know it really gets the kids excited because it's not often that parents will play with them in that sort of way and because I kind of love to adopt characters and it kind of rolls off just rolls along kind of thing and you're always sort of yeah you have to be quite intuitive when you're working with kids and and adaptable so if it's not quite working you can switch and change and and so yeah it's oh no it's definitely a an added bonus if you have those skills when you're working with kids for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely relate to them on their level yep so how has your business progressed from when you first started as an OT well when I first started, I was working always for government departments. And when I had kids, I kind of had a break from OT. I kind of got a bit, because I was always working on my own and I'm, I'm a real extrovert, I like to be around people. Um, I was a bit like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm hopeless at this. You know, I'm not getting any better. So I kind of had a little, little break and had kids. And... Then after I had, yeah, I was kind of working in working in a plant nursery and but people would always, yeah, that was just for a couple of years when the kids were little instead of doing OT. Um, but people would always be asking me to do assessments. And so that was kind of like me, my little private thing on the side. But I had no idea about business or, you know, I just like typed tax invoice at the top of my little Word document. <laughs> And, you know, make up a number. So I'd had no idea. So that was kind of the start of it. And it wasn't until really that it was obvious that the NDIS was coming out and that I would have to be take, take it seriously that I decided to, like, learn about what a business is and how to run a private practice and kind of got going then. And I had to kind of take myself a bit more seriously as well, whereas before it just things would just come to me and, you know, and I'd, see someone if they really begged me to or whatever when the kids were younger before I really threw myself into it so yeah that's how that kind of came about yeah that's awesome that's awesome I think that's like everyone like myself when you first start doing a business you kind of just make it up as you go and see what happens and I know honestly I had no idea (laughs) and really I because I was never interested really in business like if anyone ever talked about that that I, you know, you do a business like, oh no, I think, oh, how boring, oh, how dry, you know, all that finance stuff, you know. So I was, you kind of learn it because you have to when you're going along, I think. And then you find the bits of that that you enjoy. And yeah, well, that's how it was for me. Awesome. Just, yeah, go until you find something is working, is what, <laughs> what yeah. I find my strategy is. Great strategy. <laughs> <laughs> 
So tell me about your study of meditation and what brought you to doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was always kind of interested, very interested in psychology. That was probably my favourite subject at uni. And and I think because, and I didn't even realise this at the time, but I think what you need, you're kind of drawn to. And I was drawn to psychology because I, I was interested in the way people think. And I was interested in the way people interact. And I hadn't realised it then, but I've, I have always had anxiety. And when the, the kids were quite little, I remember driving in the car one day and thinking, you know, having this overwhelming feeling of anxiety. And, and I couldn't even pinpoint why I was having that feeling. And even though I'd studied, you know, psychology at uni, until you... Some, maybe it's an age thing as well. I kind of hadn't put the pieces together and hadn't reflected on that. And I knew I needed to do something. And I was, you know, I was into yoga. And so I kind of had a bit of an intro to the meditation, but I didn't really know how to do it. And and Ed, that's my husband, when the kids were, well, Jack was probably five, we, we had a project, a dental project in Laos. And of course, all the translators were Buddhist monks. And I was totally fascinated by the Buddhist culture. And, and one of the main, like the translators, he, he'd been a monk for years. And, and he, then he, you know, dropped out of being a monk when he was 30. His grandfather was, was like the abbot of the monastery. So he was like totally in it from a very young age, the age of five. And he'd take me to the temple every day and we'd meditate. And, but he'd show me how to do it. And there was a lot of, you know, how to sit, how to move. There was a walking meditation and a sitting meditation and um, a very ritualised way of doing things. And I guess that kind of helps you have a motor part to it so it's not all the brain. Like, And, yeah, and it just started off doing very short moments, like five minutes and building up. And, and then I'd have all these questions. You know, when you first start meditating, you have all these questions about oh, am I doing this right or is this meant to happen? And, and he'd just say, no, just do the practice. Just sit and do the practice. And then eventually the answers are, you know, they answer themselves really, the questions. And so then when we came back, he actually came back with us and stayed with us. So it was like I had this intensive with him for a month while he stayed here and really got into it. And that was before our youngest was born and, and I was like I got up to meditating for like an hour a day totally transformed my life and I actually had this revelation that what all that stuff that's going on in your head that's not even you it's not even you and it was kind of like whoa when I realized that then it was then I could understand a lot of the other things that he'd been teaching me you know that you're actually observing and that's not you and those things come and go and and that, that really kind of directed a lot of what I went looking for after that. So that's how I got into it. And it's really the reason why I'm so into like the mental health side of things for, for kids and parents. And I'm just so passionate and interested in it and want everyone to know how to meditate. <laughs> it's great. That's awesome. Is that a practice that you, you still do? How do you yeah. incorporate that into your life now? Well, it's kind of funny because it's kind of, I haven't been, there's been periods of time when I haven't been consistent 
with it. And um, one of those was when our youngest, Rose, was little. She had chronic eczema and it was incredibly stressful, you know, for like years until she was about four. She was wet wrapped every day and she was in distress all day. It was oh, so stressful. And I kind of fell off the bandwagon a bit when with the meditation because I was just so intent, intent on caring for her and Ed was off working. And so it, then I knew I had to get back into it because all the anxiety was coming back and the self-judgment and, and all of that. So I kind of had to make the time again. And, and so there's been times where I've been, yep, you have this fantastic morning routine where I'd be, you know, meditating for half an hour and yoga and, and journaling. So that, that was kind of like the mainstay. And if I was doing those things, everything would be going along a lot, a lot better. And, you know, yeah, so there's been times where it's not, where I've not been consistent and things unravel as soon as I die stop. So I've kind of have to, set sort of smaller goals you know because it used to be if I couldn't meditate for a half an hour an hour I'd be like no it's not enough but now it's like if I do three minutes that's great or if I've got a break and I sit here and do a meditation that's great but I try and do half an hour a day you know but I'm trying you know I've kind of stopped beating myself up if I don't do it which that's kind of like counterintuitive isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And do you think it is about finding that middle ground, just getting a, a part of it done, like you said, the three minutes done, just mm -hmm. to kind of even keep that habit and keep that bit of an anchor rather than an all or nothing kind of approach? Yeah, well, that's it. Like, well, that's been a big thing for me, that black and white thinking. If it's not exactly how I want it, I'm not going to do it at all. So, yeah, I've, that that's been a big thing for me trying to like no tiny goals tiny goals if I can do one little thing that's still progress but yeah when you're like I'm a real perfectionist and I tend to have these unrelenting standards so if I you know if I if I reflect on that and think no three minutes that's fine I've I've, I've still done my meditation and it's cumulative like that three minutes still builds up and still helps you know still helps me be who I am and not my little you know neuro neurotic sort of neuroses taking me off somewhere so yeah it's I just have to do it I have to just have to do it <laughs> yeah so I'm really interested in the equine assisted therapy horses are just absolutely amazing amazing creatures and just tell me how you like first bit of your, your journey with horses and then how you came into the equine assisted therapy I have to Admit, I haven't even started with the equine assisted therapy yet, but it's on the radar it's in the future. As far as starting with horses, we, like I grew up on a farm and all the cattle work was done on horseback. And where we grew up is kind of on the eastern fall of the Great Divide. And so there was nice grassy paddocks at the top. And then you go down these great gorges and rivers and, you know, stunning countryside. And we had that, you know, 600 acres at the top of the hill. And then dad had all this forest lease where you'd have to go down and into this gorge country. So horses were like omnipresent, you know, they were a big part of our, our life. And dad was really passionate. Mum wasn't really interested, but dad was really passionate. So, you know, we were riding horses from 
you know, he, there's photos of us sitting in front of the saddle, mustering cattle with dad and when we were like tiny tots. And so horses were kind of always there. And then as we got older, we, we were, you know, wanting to, well, we didn't even know about it, but dad introduced us more like competition stuff. So we joined the local pony club and every weekend there was a horse thing on and there was like shows and you know, competitions and camp drafting, polo cross. It was just that horses were what we did. That was our social. And it was also, you know, the work on the farm as well. But I was always really into the, like, it was all very, you know, the horses were a tool, really. There was nothing about the connection. Dad was a fantastic horseman. Horses were always safe with him because he, he had a lovely way of maybe that was his intuition too he's very intuitive about what horses need what suits this horse what doesn't suit that horse and he was very um, athletic and so the horses were always reliable you know always do whatever he wanted them to do but they were very obedient and I, I kind of wanted to have that kind of like movie relationship with your horse you know where they like come when you whistle and they hang around you all the time like a puppy dog and it's almost like they're talking to you and <laughs> I kind of wanted that but my they were all kind of just sort of behaving and not really interacting with you they're like yes tell me what to do and <laughs> but I've kind of wanted a bit more and I was always really interested in dressage and I think I just loved the shape of the horses that did dressage, they were round and they were beautiful and they carried themselves with pride. And whereas ours were kind of straight, went in a straight line and, you know, they chased cows and that was all kind of flat and featureless. Whereas I was like really enamored with the artistic impression of the horse. And I love those like Baroque images of horses and kind of real girly, girly stuff, but kind of really loved that more the artistic side of horses and the and then learning about that connection and the emotional aspect kind of came later but I knew I I what I wanted but I didn't know how to get that at that stage but yeah and it's kind of wasn't until I was older with kids and I, I had this one horse that was really a handful he wasn't like one of those horses that just did what you wanted and a different breed he was very anxious he was kind of like the horse version of me <laughs> he's like really friendly but then like whoa you just freak <laughs> out and leap away and he was kind of like you know just totally neurotic and nervous and scared and and I was like oh my god I don't know what I'm doing whereas before then I was thinking oh yeah I'm a good horsewoman but the with this one I was like I am so out of my depth so I was busy like googling naughty warm blood horse you know <laughs> and um and through that I found this guy an American trainer called Warwick Schiller and well he's actually Australian but he lives in America and he I was like yeah he knows what he's doing and I'd kind of you know been looking at these other trainers you know this guy called Pat Pirelli and it's all more about getting the horse to trust you have a relationship with them and um, a trust between you and and a lot of other people were you know going down that track as well <clears throat> excuse me but I um, frog in the throat I have to have a drink yeah so 
<clears throat> still there. Yeah, and they were kind of talking more about the relationship and, and I guess, you know, I kind of also came across this uh, book by this guy who was a father of a child with autism. It's called The Horse Boy. It's a brilliant book. And so there were kind of getting, I was getting kind of a lot of from different areas. Cause once you sort of start going down a rabbit hole, all this other stuff starts coming, you, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I was kind of looking at, you know, like equine therapy with kids with autism. And, and then because I'd been doing like trying to do work more on the horse's relationship. And I love that sort of classical stuff. I, I wanted to go to Portugal so I went there and sort of learnt a different way of, of creating, um, you know, that connection with your horse that sort of seemed more natural and they were carrying themselves and it wasn't so forced. And so then I was, yeah, I guess it's kind of been a gradual thing, but I, I really, for, I've sort of avoided it, rejected it for a while about me doing equine therapy because that was my relaxation that was my hobby and I didn't want my work to take over my hobby and so you know even though I've you know taught riding and things like that over the years I kind of always felt like I don't want to share and so but that's really changed for me because you know I think if you've got some skills and some knowledge and it's kind of like you almost have a, a duty to share that because if you don't it's lost and you know leaving that sort of legacy you never know what sort of impact you have on someone even though you don't have all the knowledge and all the skills you, you could be just the right person at the right time and I think I want to share that now and because I know my journey what it's done for me you know with my um, mental health you know what a big part it's played in not only my mental health but my development it's kind of like bringing all of the experiences of my life together and then oh yeah that's why I was doing all that other stuff that didn't make any sense at the time and it's kind of all lining up now like the stars are lining like coming into a funnel and it's coming out and that's you know I'm on the right track so I guess before I was bringing all of that together. I kind of saw my life in compartments. You know, oh, here's my horsey stuff. Here's my OT stuff. Here's my family stuff, my parenting stuff. And it was like never the twain shall meet. And now it's like, oh, yeah, it actually does all fit together. It's not just like this. Little, oh, yeah, it's not like a Lego house um, <laughs> with strict lines between, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't know. Did I answer that question? I got carried away there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really great answer, especially what you said about if you have that knowledge that it's almost your duty to deliver that and like pass that on. I think that is a really, really great takeaway. What's next then when you go on and you learn about the, the equine therapy? What's the next step? Well, because I work in the NDIS um, sort of space, well, obviously you've got to have the right training. So I've got lots of years of experience as um, a horse person 
but I have to bring my my sort of therapeutic knowledge into with the horses you know how do I bring that together and so I need to do more formal training you know make sure you know know about assessing the horse and that they're safe you know which I think I've got a pretty good idea about but I I just have to do more training and also you know I'd like to bring in maybe dogs and stuff like that but they don't actually ride the horse necessarily. It's a lot of stuff on the ground and, you know, maybe for children, maybe just mixing their feed and so they're getting that sensory import and a bit of, um, you know, if for their muscle tone might be things like, you know, pushing the wheelbarrow or, you know, feeding the horse, like carrying the hay net. Or, so you kind of like still have those same therapeutic goals, which might be self-regulation. So that might, might be looked different for each child and or it could be those motor skills so whatever their goals are you kind of the horse is actually they're an assistant they're not the one doing the therapy you're the therapist so you guide it but the the animal is kind of like kind of helps with engagement and there to assist you and the child with those goals whatever their goals are so that's yeah what's next I just have to do more training really and get set up (laughs) awesome I think we can all relate to how great we feel when we have animals around and people who are sick you know having an animal around and they bring you know like the therapy dogs into hospitals and stuff like that but what is it about having animals in our lives and engaging with them that is so beneficial I think they're very grounding and there's no them and us with animals it sort of feels like you're in it together you know what I mean so it's it's like there's no judgment there's no expectation you know people have expectations of you people like have judgments about you animals they're just hanging out you know and I think they they teach you a lot about yourself you know, like if you don't have good boundaries, yeah, animals, they'll just jump all over those boundaries. And if you have anxiety, they're going to pick up on that because they're very intuitive and receptive and they're not, they don't have all those layers which, you know, verbal language can put on, on things. So it's kind of an open communication and they're just so grounding. They're a creature of, of the world, of the earth. And it's just like, just nice, nice energy. And it's just like looking up at the blue sky. You're grounded. You're part of the the world when you're with an animal. You're not isolated and stuck in your head. Mm, That is awesome. So what are some of the ways that people can connect with you and find out more about your work? And what do you have in the works at the moment? Well, to contact me, I'm I'm on Facebook and Instagram, like everybody. And uh, (laughs) also I've got, I have a website www.ottimekidstherapy.com.au if you want to check that out because I'm really into skills I think it's really important that well it is for me it's always been really important for me that I know how to do things you know I love the skills give me the skills and I feel really good about myself when I can I can do things oh look at me I can reverse a horse trailer so I mean I really love it when I I can do stuff and I I kind of think it's a great way for kids to feel really good about themselves if they can do things for themselves but you know and it's really great the parents you know really want them to be independent as well so one of the things I'm really quite interested in is actually toilet training and 
because I see a lot of kids um, with uh, neurodiversity, toilet training looks very different for them. And, you know, so the general information on toilet training, you know, is, it, is just that. It's too general. It doesn't necessarily work for them. So I, I really love working with those kids and I love how quirky they are and I love how um, creative they are. And so I really want them to develop those skills and bring in their creativity. So I, I want, I'm working on a toilet training program. So it's called No Tears Toilet Training for quirky kids, actually, for quirky kids. And so they're those kids that may be on the autism spectrum, ADHD, language problems. And it's very much tailored for their learning style. And also I want it to be, because every child is different, they've got different sensory processing things, I want to be able to support them in problem solving, support the kids and the parents through the problem solving around that because everybody's little issues are going to be so different. Uh, so that's what I'm working on at the moment and that's going to be sort of have a live component as well as uh, an online component. So that's probably... Yeah, later in the year, I'll launch that. Yeah, so that's, yeah, basically what I'm working on the moment. But I want to do other ones like that for skills as well. I also have one on for self-regulation because you need the self-regulation and the connection with the parent before you're going to get the skills. So I've got my face-to-face -face and telehealth and online stuff. So kind of three-pronged and then the animal-assisted therapy, who knows where that's going to lead me. That's awesome. We'll have to talk again when you have your animal-assisted therapy all taking place. The last thing that I want to ask you, and we've talked about so many different things today, but if someone could take one piece of advice away from the episode, what would that be? Mm, that's a good question. I think you have to back yourself. Be brave enough to back yourself. You know, you know what what you want to put out there you know what you want to do don't say you don't because you do and you just have to have the courage to back yourself and I think that's probably the one one thing I mean it's what I it's what I'm trying to do all the time but yeah don't don't be afraid I think you've got to be yourself and back yourself and that's something that I'm always working on and I think that makes all the difference in the world that's awesome. I love that answer. I think that's a really, really important one. Deanna, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been awesome to talk with you. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Any opportunity for talk, I love it. If you would like to connect with Deanna on Instagram or Facebook, you can check out those links in the show notes below. And as soon as Deanna's newest online course comes out, you'll also be able to have a look at that in the show notes. If you have been enjoying the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app and share the episode with one person who you think would also find some value in what we talked about today. I can't wait to have you again next time. And remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited to.